Welcome to Micromobility, a podcast exploring the disruptive potential of lightweight utility vehicles. Using the history of computing as a framework, we examine how these technologies will upend everything we thought we knew about the future of urban transport. The host of the show is Horace Deju, founder of Asimco.com, and I'm his co-host, Oliver Bruce. Hey team, Oliver here. This week I interview Dmitry Pivovarov of Bolt Mobility, which is one of the largest ride-hailing players in Europe and has been building a bit of a sleeper hit of a micromobility business, which recently announced it was going to expand to challenge Tia as the largest micromobility operator in Europe next year. I use this episode to work out who they are, <laughs> dig into the interplay between the ride-hailing business and micromobility, and how they've built that business, and get an update on the overall shared micromobility market in Europe. It's a great interview, mainly because I hadn't really had them on my radar, and it puts to bed the idea of there being a first-mover advantage in this market. In terms of news, China is not only the engine fueling the global micromobility boom, it is the epicenter of growth. The country's revenue from bicycle exports had $1.1 billion in Q3, eclipsing that $1 billion mark for the first time since 1995. And with annual domestic sales of more than 30 million units in recent years, the number of electric bikes in China has reached about 300 million, or about one for every five people. As we discussed in this episode, China has some of the most amazing micromobility stories. And speaking of which, if you happen to have any connections with the Chinese micromobility players who might be interested in sharing their experience or stories about the market there, please DM me on Twitter or email me. Otherwise, I want to give a shout out to Micromobility World, our first all-digital event running from the 27th to the 29th of January in 2021. We have some of the biggest names in the world of owned and shared micromobility, including the CEO of Lime, disruptive innovation gurus Gene Munster and Benedict Evans, urban design champions like Jeanette Sadiq Khan, and investing legends like Riley Brennan, coming together to talk about how to supercharge the micromobility revolution. Tickets are free before the end of the year, with a VIP tier for curated community participation. Register at micromobility.io. It's going to be awesome. And now, here's Dimitri. And welcome back to Micromobility. We have with us today Dimitri Pivovarov. Is that Did I get it right? That, that's close to being right, yes. Pivovarov. Yes, okay. You're very forgiving. You, you, yes. Okay, well, uh, who, who is the head of uh, micromobility for, for Bolt? Uh, I, uh, it's, it's a pleasure to have you on, Dimitri. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Um, thanks, thanks for having now, me. Now, not at all, not at all. Um, well, look, I, I feel like the the, uh, the, the the mistake that I made, and, and I guarantee you a lot of listeners are probably going to make that same mistake, uh, was confusing Bolt uh, from Estonia with Bolt uh, the scooter company from the US. So maybe can we just clarify where things are at, uh, which company is which, and uh, and and maybe actually well, we can use that as a sort of a way to um, uh, kind of frame up the the, the story of Bolt uh, in in Europe as well. Uh, definitely. Let's uh, let's kick it off with that. So uh, <laughs> I'm from Bolt, uh, the the European company which was founded in two thousand thirteen. So that was already seven years ago. And uh, currently, we're the leading uh, European uh, ride-hailing company. So we operate in in more than uh, 35 countries. Uh, we have 30 million users. Uh, most of our our major geographies are Europe and Africa. Mm-hmm. And um, our kind of differentiator uh, from from competition is that we're focusing on making transportation more affordable and more reliable. 
right? Mm-hmm. And as as part of this uh, bigger framework to to become kind of one shop, uh, one stop shop for uh, for moving around the cities. We mm-hmm. started also micro mobility because it was a natural step for us, uh, as uh, almost a quarter of the trips are sub three kilometers, and more than forty percent of the trips are sub five kilometers. And um, yes. micro mobility is definitely a better option for those shorter trips than than ride hailing. And uh, naturally, kind of we ventured into that field in two thousand eighteen. So we started uh, yeah. operating first in in Paris. That was our first testing ground. And then uh, last year we expanded a bit, uh, a bit more to to seven uh, different markets in Europe. And uh, this year we we made a kind of explosive expansion to to forty seven markets, uh, all in Europe as well. Yeah, that's really exciting. So 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 just to clarify, uh, Bolt is not the uh, scooter company that had Usain Bolt. Uh, 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 it's, it's kind of like uh, part of center of their marketing, which is a company called Bolt that's based in Florida, as far as I understand. Um, and it is also it, they didn't have the front-facing scooters, which is also the one that I had uh, I had understand the Bolt. Well, like the name that comes up with it, you know, uh, Bolt so as well. So your actually the part that I hadn't fully understood as well was that Bolt was originally Taxify. Uh, which was it was rebranded in the a couple of years ago, um, which is really uh, which was I my background was I used to be at Uber and I hadn't heard of Bolt and then I, I kind of all all of the things started falling into place when I worked out that you were Taxify originally and that you've gone on and um, rebranded as Bolt. So um, yeah, very that, exciting. That's right. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, well, look, I, I mean, the, the thing that really, obviously, the kind of very exciting news and part of the reason that we wanted to have you on the podcast and, and things like that was um, that you're looking at doing a, a, an incredible expansion. I mean, the, the, the expansion that you've announced uh, for what you where you want to get to next year uh, uh, across Europe would make you larger than Tia, who is the largest player in the, in the micromobility game in Europe. Um, so maybe can you talk through those expansion plans and how you're thinking about them and, and what you're looking at? Uh, definitely. So maybe I should start with the current year. I think there are two kind of uh, main developments that uh, shaped the la- landscape uh, in Europe. So first of all, we had uh, the pandemic, which uh, kicked off in the, in the beginning of the year, and um, there was like big concern about whether micromobility will survive that or not. And uh, what we've seen, uh, a lot of competition started uh, reacting very quickly to that, right, and and kind of laying off. Uh, uh, personnel to survive this uh, time, but the uh, market is actually quite quickly recovered, especially for micro mobility, because it's uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's a very good way to move around the city when when you have this uh, pandemic, right? You don't want to use the public transportation. Uh, right hailing is also not as attractive as, a, as just riding alone uh, on in in open air uh, on a scooter. Mm-hmm. So the, 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 that was the first kind of uh, mode of transportation that was uh, quickly recovered, and in, in fact. Uh, some of the cities actually even reached out uh, to to us and asked us to deploy scooters sooner than we initially planned because uh, mm-hmm. they they wanted to provide some some mode of transportation for for their citizens. Um, and and with that we actually kind of expanded quite aggressively this, despite the pandemic and we went from pretty much a standing start to to forty seven cities in just one year. And uh, with that we kind of entered the top three operators in in Europe. Uh, this year, we was kind of coming out of nowhere, um, and and the thing is like we 
if you remember, 2019 was this kind of year when everyone was aggressively expanding everywhere, right? And and we, we didn't do that because um, our approach was slightly different. We, we didn't believe in this first come, first serve, uh, first come, kind of take take the market uh, approach. Yes. Uh, we, we tried to understand how this business works first, right? So we started a small scale. We operated only in seven uh, markets. And when we figured out, okay, so those are the things that are important for this business, then we started scaling. And we kind of scaled this year. Uh, it worked again. Kind of we, we know how to run operations in a, in a profitable manner. And uh, now we know we can expand even more aggressively. And, and with that, we decided to invest 100 more million into the micromobility. And we're planning mm-hmm. to, to kind of purchase the fleet of uh, 130,000 uh, scooters and deploy it across Europe. And uh, currently we're planning to go to more than 100 cities. So we, with that, we'll be kind of a top uh, player in Europe, uh, both in terms of the fleet size and in, in terms of coverage. Yeah. I mean, 100 cities is, is, is really, uh, really substantial. I mean, especially going from where, you, as you say, you kind of weren't really even in the game a year and a bit ago um, to, to being at 100 cities within that period. I mean, that, that uh, uh, talk me through the kind of the strategy and the, and the, and the thinking uh, internally, because we've obviously seen other ride hailing companies try and get into the micromobility game uber being first amongst them and that kind of ended in a kind of giant flaming failure with jump being sold off um to, to lime um of just how you've thought about that internally and, and and how you've been able to nurture that business through uh sure so so partly uh, i think the main uh, the main difference in, in the approach uh, as i mentioned was that uh, we definitely didn't want to invest into something we don't understand how it works and I think it's a general approach we have in both. We are trying to be very lean, and especially lean with our investments and with our spending. So we can't really kind of dump, I don't know, 50, 100 million on a business that we're not sure will succeed in the end. So initially we started slow. Uh, we started in, in one city in 2018, then in seven cities in 2019. And the idea was to exactly test out um, how how this works, right? And in 2018, it didn't really work because uh, the hardware wasn't there. Um, so there was a lot of like uh, kind of uh, wasn't enough acceptance from from the public for the scooters, right? There was a lot of vandalism, especially we've seen that in Paris. And and uh, the economics didn't really work out. So we decided, okay, maybe it's just one city. Let's let's try it in a few different cities to see if we, if it's the problem, like with with just the hardware, with with the market, uh, etc. So. We tested it out and we understood, okay, well, looking at those uh, seven different cities, uh, this can actually work. So we, we, we can figure out what's needed. We understand what the customers want. Uh, because in essence, it's a, actually a, a very simple service, right? It's a transportation service. So there are only two things uh, that uh, matter the most for, for the customers. Uh, if you want to mm-hmm. move somewhere, first of all, you have to have the, the, your solution nearby. Right, you have to have scooter available within uh, close walking distance, and then it has yes. to be aff- uh, affordable. So once you, once you understand those two things, then you know uh, what you need to do in the business to, to make it successful. Right. So first of all, you need to cut costs, make it affordable, and secondly, you have to have sufficient supply, which is again about uh, costs and uh, buying the hardware to place it in in the cities. So we, we've seen that in in 2019 it actually worked in uh, in seven cities. We were able to run some of them profitably, even with uh, the the first generation hardware. And uh, we decided to invest in that. So we started developing our own hardware, uh, which we introduced and deployed in the beginning of this year. 
and that massively improved the uh, unit economics. So with that improvement, we, we were able to go to more cities, uh, scale up, uh, scale up our operational approach. And uh, we've, uh, we've seen that, okay, yes, uh, actually it's, uh, it's a service that uh, people demand everywhere across Europe. Uh, we see that we can uh, run it in a sustainable manner. And uh, that's why we're uh, doubling down, because it, it, it kind of, first of all, uh, we, we see that it can be a good business, especially paired with right hailing. So there is, a, there is, I think, a big, big difference when, when you run it standalone versus uh, having it as um, a part of the solution, a multimodal solution. And uh, I know like a lot of companies are striving to achieve this multimodality, but uh, I really think that Bolt is uh, kind of has the best position to do that because we have right hailing. Uh, we now have uh, scooters, we have e-bikes, and and we see there is a massive uh, cross-pollination effect uh, between the two. So well, we see that uh, kind of our ride-hailing users prefer to take scooters for uh, shorter trips. Actually, uh, we see them using scooters to get, for example, to the um, uh, public transportation stop, then take the public transport. So it's essentially the last and first mile uh, solution. And when they need mm -hmm. to go for a longer distance, they, they can take ride-hailing. Right? So there is uh, really this. Um, kind of um, uh, cross-pollination of synergy between, between the modes. And just out of curiosity, did, so do you, when you serve up the option inside of the app, do you show uh, the option of the scooter and the ride hailing next to each other in terms of like directly comparing their costs or is it still uh, kind of serviced differently at different parts of the app? I just, I asked this question because that was always the dream, I think, when I was at Uber, that we would eventually get to there and we never quite quite a solution that would work around that stuff but um are you are you able to do that now within bolt uh yeah so we, we also started with uh, two separate views uh one for micro mobility options then one for right hailing but uh, now we're kind of merging them together so you if you open uh, bolt up you would see for example a right hailing view but at the same time you would see scooters uh, on the on the map right and when you right. enter your destination uh, we haven't fully rolled out this feature yet, but uh, when you enter your destination, then you have multiple options. So you have right hailing options, and then you have the micro mobility options as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, and that makes a lot of sense. I can see that. I can see that being a, a thing, especially when you can. Uh, question for you: d d d Internally within the the business, do you how do you how are the economics stack up for each of the the rides? So, so like, do you earn more money on a micro mobility ride or on a or on a ride hailing ride, or kind of does it depend? I guess. Oh, it's it's very different depending on the mar on the market, right? In some market we're in expansion mode, so there are a lot more more, more costs. In in some markets we're kind of stable. Uh, then uh, uh, in some markets we're profitable. So so really, it's hard to answer uh, because. I don't think we have any markets which are in the same state uh, for both micro mobility and, and uh, ride hailing. Right. Okay, cool. Well, look, what, what um, I'm, I'm curious about just because I, we haven't really covered uh, European micromobility on the, on the podcast for, for a little while. The last micromobility operator that I think we talked to was probably about four or five months ago. So mm -hmm. can you just give me like a lay of the land, which is where, where have things got to? Because I mean, I love micromobility in Europe. You guys are like mm -hmm. crushing it. You're showing the rest of the world how this can be done with a good quality city that's integrated, has bike lanes and all that, la, 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 you know, um, what's, where, where have you got to? 
Well, so uh, again, the, the, like this is not the exact actual knowledge. It's just um, based on the numbers that are thrown around uh, in the internet. Yeah. But uh, currently, yeah. we have um, I would say three three big uh, European operators, uh, which is uh, Voi, Tier, and us. And uh, so so far, um, in terms of the coverage, Tier is the biggest one. Uh, as far as I know, they're in seventy to eighty cities. Mm-hmm. And uh, then uh, Voi and us were pretty much equal around between 40 and 50 cities uh, total. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, uh, the, the big difference, I think, comes in, in terms of the uh, fundraising. So uh, we've, um, so far, we've only invested uh, 30 million in, into this uh, business, into micromobility. Mm-hmm. And uh, with that, kind of our capital efficiency is, is much higher because we were able to expand to, to, to the same coverage with a lot less investment and uh, with a lot less burn. And uh, I think next year will be uh, even even more interesting because uh, we all heard that uh, there is a, uh, a recent race for Tier, uh, led by SoftBank. So this is massive. Uh, mm-hmm. and they got uh, 250. Yeah, I was going to get to that, but let's just deal with the elephant in the room because it's a bit. It's a big race. 250 mil coming in from SoftBank, and like, you know, I interviewed um, the the founder uh, 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 Lawrence uh, from from Tia very early on in their journey. And we had talked about whether or not there might be a soft bank kind of deal. And he was like, oh, I don't know if it'll have happened. So they kind of avoided scooter game. Clearly they've gone, they've waited until there's been a lot of the first generation carnage and they're looking at it and saying they want to double down on the space. Um, but typically those markets where SoftBank has played have been distorted because all of a sudden the cap, the amount of capital gets deployed is really like really kind of makes it very challenging for other operators. Um, how have you thought about it? Cause I mean, 250 mil, what does that buy them relative to you? How are you thinking about yourself and, and stacking up? Or is it- well, so there is a couple of things to that. So first of all, uh, I think the overall mood in the industry is quite positive about the trace uh, because, uh, as you know, there was a lot of skepticism in the end of the uh, last year and the beginning of this year, whether this is a sustainable business because uh, no one was making money there and it wasn't sustainable. And mm-hmm. we saw valuations got slashed for, for some of the uh, uh, operators in the industry and um, now kind of this this shows that there is still interest in this and there is belief that this can be a sustainable long-term business which which is the mm-hmm. good thing now uh, when it comes to investment in itself i mean we're we're not like scared of that because uh, we, we've seen that happening before, right? <laughs> we'll, we'll have it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you've got a hundred million dollars in the bank, which you raised in uh, which you raised in May. So it's not exactly. Well, it's maybe a little bit more, hundred and ten. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's um, it's obviously quite exciting. Um, to see you, you want to go up and bat against them, I should say. But but I mean, uh, we've seen it before. Uh, we kind of seen this on the uh, other side of the Atlantic that uh, the companies raised uh, hundreds of millions. And uh, the the problem is that kind of this business doesn't work as first to scale wins, right? Because uh, a couple of yes. things. So first of all, uh, if you scale very quickly without uh, having your unit economics in place, you just burn money. And, and then there is no stickiness in this business. So uh, there is no loyalty and there shouldn't be any loyalty. It's not a bad thing. It's just a transportation service. So the most convenient mm-hmm. and the most affordable transportation service in the end wins. And we, we've seen it kind of play out uh, this year even. So we, we went to Oslo, we went to Stockholm uh, only this year, and there were incumbents operating there for a couple of years. And just within a few months, we were able, by providing affordable pricing, 
which is like 20 or 30% cheaper than our competition, we were able to get to kind of top one, top two uh, player in terms of utilization, right? Just coming out of the gate with, with no brand recognition, with, with nothing. So, of course, like uh, massive capital, it can allow you to scale quickly, but if in the end you're not as cost efficient as your competition, it, it doesn't help you uh, in the long run. And then uh, mm-hmm. what, what's worse, uh, again, this abundance of capital, it kind of doesn't teach you to be disciplined about costs. So uh, I think what's kind of important for, for both is that we started <clears throat> on a shoestring budget uh, to begin with. So we were always very, very uh, conservative and frugal when it comes to spending. And that mindset, that culture is still in the company. So we are very, very frugal. We don't spend money like when it's not, uh, there is no ROI on it, basically. And, and mm-hmm. that shows, like, before expansion, again, as I was mentioning, we, we first validated the business model for, for a couple of uh, iterations, and only then we started expanding. So I think this kind of lack of capital can be a good thing as well, because it uh, teaches you to be disciplined. And uh, micromobility business specifically is all about uh, execution and, and, uh, and cost efficiency. Yeah. Um, yeah, you, your your story about this kind of reminds me of the story of Hello Bike in Australia, in, uh, in China. I don't know if you, do, are you familiar with Hello Bike? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But uh, for, I'm, for folks who listen to the podcast for a while they probably remember the story, but I'll, I'll tell it anyway, uh, which is that Hello Bike, uh, during the kind of the heady days of the, uh, the, the bike boom in China in 2016, 2017, um, the, uh, they, they were an operator who focused entirely on sort of tier two and tier three cities and focused on operations and ended up being the largest player in the game because it just, you know, everybody else burned out. Um, do, how do you, cons- you know, it's funny you say that even about tier because I, I wonder how you view Lime and Bird. Um, who are kind of like the heady of the heady players who were, you know, over unicorn valuations in the early days and obviously kind of like shot to, to giant prominence. Um, how, do, how, does, how do you see them inside of the, um, the European market? Because you didn't mention them when you were mentioning the three large players. <laughs> Well, uh, I was kind of covering more on the uh, European side, but uh, but actually yeah. uh, they, they both have a very good uh, presence as well. So they expanded very, yep. very quickly last year. So there is a very good brand recognition. And uh, I think everyone, uh, regardless of how much funding they have, now, now understands that uh, unit economics and this business has to make uh, sense, right? So uh, yep. everyone is uh, trying to very quickly uh, change their... Uh, operational efficiency, their kind of um, hardware costs to 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 be able to uh, to sustain this business long term. Yeah, marvelous. Um, when you look at what's so of the cities that you are currently operating in, and then where you're going next, uh, are you do you have a particular strategy around going after tier one, tier two, tier three cities, or is that sort of is, how do you, how do you think about market selection? Um, sure. So first thing we this year we expanded more. So we are based in Tallinn. In our HQ uh, is in Tallinn, and yes. we kind of expanded outwards from there. So we went Tallinn, to our, Estonia. Just just for folks who didn't. That's uh, yeah, uh, that's I, important I, clarification. Yes, it is. It is an important. It is important. I didn't know where Tallinn was. Uh, until I had until <laughs> I worked out that you were studying. Yes, I hear you. Yeah. Sorry. Well, maybe just uh, want to uh, clarify the geography. It's uh, right under Finland, so it's uh, in this uh, northern part of uh, Eastern Europe. So we first yes. expanded as the first wave to our like the most immediate markets, uh, which is the central and uh, Eastern Europe. And of course, we went to a few important uh, capitals like uh, Oslo, Stockholm, uh, Paris, uh, Madrid, um, Lisbon as well. 
And um, this this expansion was mostly driven actually by uh, the fact that we have right hailing in those markets. So it was uh, kind of very easy. And it's again about the cost efficiency. It's uh, much easier to go to the market where you have uh, kind of the office present, you have people, uh, you have operations on the ground. So it's, it's much easier to expand there. It doesn't mean that we only expand to those uh, countries. So for example, in Spain and in, in Norway, we only have uh, micro mobility, we don't have anything else there yet. Um, so yeah, those were kind of the natural markets we, we went to first. Uh, but uh, next year we are planning to cover all the remaining markets uh, in, in Europe, which, which allow uh, scooters on the streets. And uh, in particular between the uh, first tier city or the second tier cities, uh, our plan is to just go to, to kind of follow them, right? So <laughs> we have a large fleet, uh, we'll have uh, 130,000 scooters and it should be sufficient really to cover the first and second tier cities. Excellent. And how does that work when you come up against... So I know, for example, Paris has just gone through a bidding process uh, to allow, like, to select the operators who are going to be in the next... Uh, who are going to be in the cities, in the city going forward. How does that work if the city... I mean, how long are those contracts starting to get in, um, in terms of the, the way that those are awarded? Oh, if my memory serves me well, the Paris one was for two years. And, uh, yes. for example, the ones that are issued currently... Uh, in in UK, there for around the one year uh, trials. Uh, we also have uh, one uh, uh, license in Ber- uh, in Bergen recently, and that one has mm-hmm. uh, multiple stages. But in in general, I think it's also around a year uh, for the trial. Excellent. So, uh, do do you see? Because one of the things that I um, we're starting to see happen in the US is that the the cycles for these things are getting longer as the as the regulators uh in the, in the inside of the cities kind of work out it's like okay we kind of know how these things are going to work we have a bit of a plan around how we're going to absorb them into the city fabric um we're willing to give longer kind of longer cycles for for the uh for the operators to be able to operate um is that i assume that's happening in europe as well would that be accurate well, we've been only through the first uh, round of those uh, licensing uh, or tenders, so it's uh, it's really hard to say what what comes next. Uh, but uh, so far, we've seen like anywhere between one and two, or maybe even three years in some places. Yeah, yeah, and I guess does that? I mean, I guess the reason I'm asking that question is, does that factor into your ability? Do you want to go for like? really expand over the next you know take a step up from where you've been and the your rate of expansion in terms of wanting to really kind of do a bit of a land grab now that the markets are a little bit more mature and you can think that it's reasonable that you'd be able to get longer contracts from here on out that would be effectively able to generate the reasonable level of revenue and return that you'd be looking for so i mean of course this affects right and uh, to begin with we we uh, expand in a very kind of uh, responsible way. So first, before mm. going anywhere, we, we always approach the city officials first. We understand if they want to have uh, micromobility as the solution in, in their city. And and even more so to understand what specific issues with transportation we can solve, right? So there are some underserved uh, neighbors, for example, in terms of the public transportation, and uh, the city might want us to deploy a bit more scooters there, right? So, so people can move around. So with that cautious approach, uh, kind of we we are pretty confident that we can expand in a sustainable and uh, responsible uh, manner. And when it comes to tenders, then we are well positioned again to to participate in those tenders. 
Yeah. I, I don't know if that ans answered your question or... Uh, it, it's a very responsible response. I, 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 what I was looking for was something. I wanted you to just say, yeah, we're going, we're, we're getting all irresponsible. We're getting profligate in our spending. We've gone, you know, we're really doing a land grab now. But no, that, it makes sense. It makes sense what you're saying. Uh, it's just an interesting, you know, it's an interesting thing as I kind of reflect on the way that the market's developed globally and sort of obviously we've been through this big boom and bust. And but I mean, it's, it's, it's that, not just a kind of a, like a, 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 just a responsible response in that sense because uh, we, we've seen that in the early days, right? There were like the land grab and there was a lot of uh, nuisance around that, right? People were not happy that there is scooters all over the place. There is no order, no, no, no responsibility, et cetera, et cetera. So... If you want to expand in a way that will be sustainable, that you're not going to get kicked out of the city, you, you have to do that, right? You, you can't just like, go as a cowboy and just grab all the cities in, in your way. Yeah, but it's not sustainable in the long term, which we know. So that's fair. Um, yeah, hey, um, you mentioned that you had gone on and developed your own hardware, um, and and I'm uh, and and I assume that's on is that on both the e-bike and the scooter side so currently we we have a scooter uh, for e-bikes we are currently partnering uh, with uh, with another company to to get the uh, the bike in our fleet but yeah. uh, we're, we're but we're yeah take, take me through that journey with the scooter and how and what what are the sort of features that you've what are the features that you found that mattered and then how, and what do you think uh will matter going forward as well mm -hmm. um so i think there are a couple of or maybe even three different approaches in in the industry. So there's uh, thinking that uh, uh, the operating company doesn't need to own hardware because there are uh, companies focusing on producing that hardware and uh, they might make a better hardware. And then there is uh, also in-house hardware approach. And again, two different things, uh, two different opinions. One is uh, make an expensive scooter that will last long. And then uh, our opinion is we want to make a cost-efficient scooter that will last for a long time. So, mm -hmm. so when when we started designing the scooter, that was uh, one of the main uh, driving forces, and the second one was that we want to make a, a scooter actually safe, because um, it, it's uh, I would say like from a consumer perspective, it's a certain important factor after affordability and availability that they want to have a safe and reliable scooter that they ride on. So that kind of to to those two driving forces, they. Uh, drove all the design decisions that we had. So on the cost efficiency side, we kind of made the scooter as simple as possible. So it's easy to maintain, it's easy to replace uh, broken parts. So for example, if, if something is like broken in our scooter, uh, we don't need to go to the manufacturer and ask them for the part. And in some cases, they will not provide you like this small specific part that's broken, they will provide you the whole module to, to replace it. And uh, since we kind of have our scooter and we have our own supply chain, we can do it in a very efficient manner. We can kind of we have access to every single small detail that needs replacing, and that uh, that allows for a better maintainability, right? Because if something is broken, we don't need to replace the scooter. We just replace the small part and put the scooter back on on the ground. And the, the design philosophy was that I said simple, but in essence, what I mean is that we have as little unnecessary details as possible. So we've uh, we've compared our scooters to the other ones in the industry, and we have 70% less of those uh, bolts that connect things in, in the scooters, right? And the, all those uh, connection points... 70% less bolts? 
Explain that part again. Sorry, I mean I'm just trying to get my head around it. So how do you have so many? Li- how 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 do you have so little? Bu- Was it just from the way that you designed the scooter? Like so exactly. So the, the the solutions we use. So for example, the main steering column is connected to the base, not through uh, kind of the I don't know the, the the part that has multiple bolts in it to hold the steering mm-hmm. column. It's connected through a uh, different kind of arm uh, solution, so there is no balls in that connection at all, right? So it doesn't become shaky, uh, no matter what the mileage on the scooter. So it's kind of uh, a design solution which is actually very unique to our scooter. If you if you look at it on on the picture, you'll you'll see what I mean, right? And uh, mm-hmm. kind of it's unique, it's simpler, and. Uh, it, it works very well, right? And then it doesn't become shaky. You don't need to replace those uh, kind of uh, bolts holding the steering column all the time. Um, so yeah, that, that's that's one of uh, of the examples. And uh, another thing is that it's uh, much lighter actually than any other scooter on the on the on the market. So our scooter weighs uh, seventeen kilos, and uh, we, we've seen some of the competitor scooters are 20, 28 kilos and uh, the most recent ones are above 30 kilos. So they, they're really huge, like machines, they weight twice as much. So that means they're less energy efficient because you need to move extra 15 uh, kilos of the scooter itself. And they're also less uh, stable, less uh, maneuverable, and it's uh, harder for, for, for people to drive them, right? Because like 30 kilos is half of the weight of a big portion of the population, right? So um, it's a huge thing for them to, to maneuver and lift uh, when they need to over the cobblestone or something like this. So so kind of this lightness, it, it comes with uh, better, uh, better maneuverability and it makes the scooter safer as well. So, what else? so one, one example would be that, uh, again, very uncommon, we have pneumatic tires, right? The tires that are filled with air instead of having filled tires, which are puncture-proof and considered to be the standard for the industry. So, yes, they require a bit more maintenance, but we deliberately went with this solution because it's safer. Right? So, first of all, your ride is smoother because uh, the, the tire is softer, it, it's filled with air. And what's more important, it has much better grip with the surface. So that affects your braking distance. It becomes much shorter uh, when you need to brake suddenly. And uh, it affects your uh, stability also, especially in slippery conditions when it's raining. Right? So those, uh, those field tires, they are, they are very kind of skiddo, slippery on, on wet conditions. And uh, the air field tires, they don't have this issue because kind of they, they have much bigger uh, surface of, of uh, connection between the tire and the ground. So, yeah. And the, so, but how does that how does that work? Because I also know as well that that um, in in theory sounds nice, but then I have a scooter with pneumatic tires and they pop all the time because I uh, because I am large and I ride them off things. So I mean I, I hear you, but how does uh, how have you managed to, to solve for that? If I may ask. Uh, for sure. So first of all, it's a tubeless tire, so it, it doesn't get punctured easily. Even if it does, well, you can still ride a bit with it, and and we simply need to replace it. But it's it's kind of a thick tire, so it's not really uh, easy to puncture it. And uh, I think we compared to to scooters with uh, filled in tires, we we maybe need to replace them twice as often, right? But they are also oh ch- wow okay ch- cheaper cheaper than uh, the filled tires. So actually, economically, it. it even uh, cheaper to have them than, than the filled-in tires. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, the 
in terms of the batteries, are you looking at, um, from an operational perspective, do you do uh, uh, swappable batteries or have you stayed with the existing, uh, like bring the scooter in every night to charge? We, we actually have uh, two solutions in our fleet. We have uh, swappable batteries and we have uh, regular batteries. And the current thinking in the industry that kind of, yeah, the swappable batteries are better. But uh, actually what we're seeing, it really depends on the markets. So uh, some markets we operate in, they have very strict uh, guidelines for operators. So for example, scooters cannot be used at night. They have to be collected and transported to certain parking places. So with that, it doesn't make sense to have swappable batteries because you need to collect like 70% of your fleet every, every night anyway. And it's much more yes. efficient to, to have scooters with uh, regular batteries. So um, I think going forward, we'll keep having two modes uh, and depending on the market, depending on the use case, uh, some either the swappable batteries will work better or the regular uh, fitted batteries will work yeah. better. Yeah. The one uh, the one thing about it, and, and this is having uh, seen pictures of your scooter, is that it doesn't look like it has a front light. How does the, how does the light situation work on the front? Oh no! Of course, it does. Uh, it's it's a requirement. So we we have it right oh, okay. above the wheel. So actually. Oh why? Wow. So it's nice and low. I see. Yeah, yeah. This is really interesting. And it was also um, a design decision because with that you can better see the potholes from because from from that angle it kind of shows you the edge of the potholes and you can see where you're going better at night. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, very nice. Um, excellent. Well, from um. With the, I'd be curious as well. So your background, like, what were you doing before you were doing this? Have you been at Bolt the whole time? I joined Bolt almost uh, three years ago, so that was in uh, 2018. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, uh, first I joined as a product manager. I was the first uh, actually product manager to, to join the company, and uh, naturally, kind of all all products were under my area of responsibility. And uh, this was the year when we actually launched uh, Micro Mobility as well. So, so when we launched, we had kind of a lot of things that needed to be done, including the operations, uh, included understanding what's important even for this business. So it kind of started taking all of my time and I had to fully switch on, on uh, uh, running the micromobility uh, part of our business. And, and then we kind of understood, yeah, well, okay, first we need the in-house hardware to be more efficient, we need to run our operations efficiently, and then we need certain solutions in, 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 uh, in the software side as well. Um, so that's how I ended up in, in, in our micromobility vertical. Hmm. Interesting. Because one of the things that I've always uh, really admired about the Estonian... Uh, the Estonian marketplace is that you've got so many interesting people and so many interesting companies that come out of Estonia. It's one of these like um, kind of startup havens in many ways. Uh, you, you certainly punch well above your weight in terms of the, the companies that you've generated from there. Um, is there was there a, um, are you, I take it you're Estonian yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Is there, is there a kind of a, um, a lot of uh, talent who is sort of thinking about micromobility as well? Are there other micromobilities companies that are based in Estonia, certainly that I should know about, <laughs> that I should be keeping an eye on? Uh, so, so definitely, as you said, in general, we, we have a lot of uh, talent in Estonia. We have a very strong uh, startup culture there. So it's, uh, I mean, now it's getting a bit more difficult because there are so many startups and there's a lot of competition for the talent. 
but uh, mm-hmm. also, as you said, yes, we, we have um, uh, we have a couple of other uh, micro mobility companies. Uh, one you probably know is Comodule, uh, who started with uh, production of IoTs, mm-hmm. and uh, now yep. they're they're also uh, they operated scooters this year uh, in Estonia as well. Oh really? Have they gone into that into that part of the business? I, I wasn't aware of that. Uh, Comodule do the yeah, so they're they're. The, the, it's like the IoT module that goes that plugs into the scooter itself, and as far as I understood, they were supplying a number of operators. Um, uh, oh, that's fantastic! Um, yeah. So, um, so I actually have two questions to, to finish up. So, so one of them is um, around your green pledge and just understanding. Um, obviously, you're now getting to the point where you're getting a where like scooters in Europe. I think are getting to the point where they are. You know, you were getting three to four year expected expected lifetimes, and one of the things that I've been really heartened by has been seeing that the change in the narrative around scooters are sort of, oh well, they'd be great if they were environmental, but they get thrown away too quickly, so they're, they're not actually the embodied the embodied energy in them. It really kind of ruins the the, the per kilometer rates. Um, any analysis that you have in there would be great, and I'd love to hear a bit more about the sort of sustainability efforts that uh, Dimitri, uh, sorry, that you you're doing at Bolt, um, and then we can cover off the 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 platform thing at the end uh definitely so we we have two initiatives uh, so the first one which we announced uh, i think earlier this year was uh, that uh, uh, bolt will have carbon neutral rides uh, for ride hailing and and then we followed up with the micro mobility specific pledge where we want to be climate positive meaning carbon negative so we'll take out more co2 out of the atmosphere than than we produce with operations or with uh, manufacturing of our scooters and uh, we, mm-hmm. we did uh, an internal analysis to understand how much CO2 we actually produce. Uh, obviously, I don't have the number off the top of my head right now. I, I need to dig up uh, yeah. that report. But uh, the, the interesting part is that uh, I was speaking earlier to the lightweight of the scooter. So that almost half of the percent of the emissions are happening when with, with the manufacturing process. And now if you have a scooter which is twice as light as the, the, the scooter's competition have, that means you emit twice as little in the atmosphere when you're manufacturing the scooter. And then and the second part, uh, of course, it comes down to operational efficiency. So uh, the second big part, a uh, chunk of the emissions happen during operations, during collection, deployment, swap, swapping of the batteries. And then here it's all about efficiency, like how, how little distance you travel between the scooters, how often do you switch them. So even with our uh, non-swappable batteries, we managed to reach 11 to 12 rides per scooter before we need to, to charge it. So that's that's huge. Mm-hmm. And, and do you have a, a, a like a in terms of the collection of the fleet and the operations are that is that done uh, with like electric vehicles or is it done with uh, gig workers or how does that how does that work so we, we never had gig workers uh, actually i think one of coming from the product management it's more important the things that you don't do that you don't invest money in than uh, the things you choose to do right so we when we started we of course looked at the landscape and um, there were two options, one to use juicers or gig workers and another one to use uh, professional services. And of course, the third one is to use in-house workers. So we, we, we contemplated this, even though it seemed attractive on the surface, we kind of dig deeper and it simply didn't make sense to, to kind of have juicers because you don't have the reliability of, um, of having your whole fleet uh, uh, recharged and you have very little control over the operations. So we, we never even invested in that uh, solution. We went straight to having uh, professional uh, operations, either through the third-party uh, companies or, or in-house. 
So our all, all our markets, uh, they none of them have uh, gig workers. Excellent. Um, and I guess the final the final part that I wanted to, to follow up on is uh, you have the uh, the platform uh, Bolt platform, which allows people to come in and similar to Bird, the Bird platform. Uh, it's it's the ability of someone to come in and say, I want to buy my own fleet of scooters and operate them, and I'll operate them on Bolt, and Bolt kind of provides the back end, the kind of operating systems and the apps and everything as well. Um, curious where have you got to on that like how i had seen that i love that as a platform player i think that's a really smart idea i think micromobility really works itself it it sort of lends itself to this sort of franchise business model um where have you got to and and how many cities that has been deployed in and 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 or is that kind of relatively new still well, initially we got to it uh, when when we actually first started uh, looking into micromobility. We started operating ourselves, and we were thinking, okay, how can we expand uh, as quickly as possible? And and kind of a natural solution to that is to offer this uh, franchise, because because uh, then you don't uh, need to to make the initial capital investment. It's uh, up to the partner to buy the scooters, uh, deploy them, and you help them with your uh, software and uh, hardware solutions. Uh, now, uh, right now we have uh, a few partners, um, and uh, we they're, they're actually planning to also expand uh, in the next year. So uh, we have uh, one in in Russia, we we have one in uh, Malta, and and probably some other markets I just don't recall right now. But it's it's kind of as you said a very interesting solution, right? Because uh, like we provide. Uh, the hardware side, we provide the IoT, we provide the connectivity, we provide the software. So really, it's uh, for for the franchisee only to uh, come up with the initial investment, and then up to them to run operations efficiently. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you see that being done? Uh, I mean. Uh is it still, do you believe, too early for that franchisation to happen? Because in some ways, right, like I've watched with Bird Platform as well, and then the, like the earliest experiment was the one that launched in New Zealand. And that was just, it was a really challenging business for them to be able to run. And it was a, you know, there's a lot of aspects to the business that are, you know, yes, it's as much around being able to have vehicles that work and, and, and sort of operational guides and all that sort of stuff. But at the end of the day, it kind of came down to, the people you know it ended up being one in these markets that i've seen by the the more professional players who come in and have those expertise and have the scale um it seems to me like that's kind of how it's played out for you at least as you've seen it in europe and do you think that there will be an inflection point or is there a sort of particular niche where this franchise model does to particular like might work better I think it comes down to kind of knowing the the local markets, right? So for kind of incumbents, it was fairly easy to expand to New Zealand, I would assume, because it's it's a Western market, right? So you understand the mentality, you understand how to operate there, and, and you can expand. But if you go to other places, you don't necessarily know all the local peculiarities of running the business there. So instead of building that expertise, hiring all the people, it's much easier and cost-efficient to just... Uh, scale or expand there through through the franchise and also the, mm-hmm. the the franchisee has a lot more knowledge locally how to run operations they might know how to work with the city much better than than you can and they can do it much more cost yeah. efficiently as well so i think it kind of fits right there like all the different markets which which are kind of outside of your scope yeah yeah 
Um, yeah, interesting. Oh, cool. All right. Well, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm, I still watch that space with a lot of excitement and I uh, was, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll look forward to hearing uh, maybe what the update is in a couple of years as to, as to how that um, business is doing. But look, in the meantime, it's been fantastic to get to know you and to uh, and to, to hear a little bit about the story of uh, Bolt and, and, and how you're expanding across Europe. It's very, uh, it's one of these wonderful things where, you can kind of blink and you miss it. And all of a sudden you find that there's uh, you know, you're going to be one of the biggest, biggest operators when they didn't even, I hadn't heard of you when you had originally started the tax five business, you know, before the rebrand. So um, it's excellent, very exciting. And, and just congratulations and hats off to you for, for the uh, continued expansion. Yeah. Thanks Oliver. It was a fantastic conversation and definitely it will be, I think the next year will be the most interesting year so far. Cool. All right. We'll look forward to having you on stage, hopefully in Micromobility Europe at some point when we finally get back to Europe and uh, can do a conference over there. Sure. When we're allowed to. Brilliant. Excellent. All right. Thanks very much. Yeah. Thank you.